This is Kick-Ass Politics. I'm Ben Mathis. Hi, folks. Before we start the show, I want to ask for your help. If you enjoy Kick-Ass Politics, I hope you'll help us reach our goal of raising our full production budget for 2016 by donating on our website at kickasspolitics.com or at gofundme.com backslash kickasspolitics. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis, and welcome to Kick-Ass Politics. Folks, how well did you sleep last night? Did you toss and turn? Did you wake up groggy? Do you wish you could have hit the snooze button and stayed in bed for another hour? If so, then you're probably one of the 130 million Americans who don't get enough sleep at night. I know what you say, I'll sleep when I'm dead or I'll catch some rest on the weekends. That's what I used to say too. But recent science proves that that just doesn't cut it anymore. Not getting regular, sufficient sleep takes an enormous toll on your job performance, your personal relationships, and your overall happiness. To say nothing of what it does to your physical and mental health, research shows that lack of sleep is one of the biggest contributors to diabetes, heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, and many other diseases. In fact, my guest today warns that sleep deprivation is just as deadly as cigarette smoking. And by not getting sufficient rest, many Americans are rolling the dice with their own lives. And she would know because she's one of the most powerful women in the media and a reformed workaholic. In 2005, Ariana Huffington launched The Huffington Post, a news and blog site that quickly became one of the most widely read, linked to, and frequently cited media brands on the Internet. In 2007, she drove herself to physical exhaustion, collapsing in her office and breaking her cheek on her own desk. It was a wake-up call that led Ariana Huffington to change her ways and live a more balanced life. And as a result, she's actually become an even greater success. She's still president and editor-in-chief of the Huffington Post Media Group, which won a Pulitzer Prize for national reporting in 2012. She's been named to Time Magazine's list of the most influential people in the world and Forbes' most powerful women list. She's written 15 books, including her previous book, Thrive, the third metric to redefining success and creating a life of well-being, wisdom, and wonder, which debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And her new book, The Sleep Revolution, Transforming Your Life One Night at a Time, which just debuted at number two on the New York Times bestseller list. On today's podcast, Ariana Huffington will talk about the need for governments, companies, and individuals to treat sleep deprivation as the serious health crisis it is, and the need for greater education on how much sleep our body needs, how to get it, and the dangers of bad habits like drowsy driving. She'll also talk about the need to change the way our corporate culture treats our need for sleep as a liability and a weakness, instead of what it truly is, the ultimate performance enhancer. And she even has the studies to back it up. Plus, Ariana Huffington will tell the story of her personal sleep revolution and give you 12 tips for getting a better night's rest. Coming up with Ariana Huffington, editor and founder of The Huffington Post and author of The Sleep Revolution, in just a moment.
Hollywood to Washington, it's time for Kick-Ass Politics. And now here's your host, Ben Mathis. She's the co-founder, president, and editor-in-chief of The Huffington Post. You might have read her last book, Thrive, which was a number one New York Times bestseller, and it started a whole dialogue on how we define success and what's important in life. And now she's followed it up with an equally significant book, that debuted at number two on the New York Times bestseller list for nonfiction. It's called The Sleep Revolution, Transforming Your Life One Night at a Time. Ariana Huffington, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Do you feel rested today? I do. 95% of the time, I feel rested. Like all of us, I'm a work in progress, so it's (laughs) not 100%, but much better than it used to be. Well, I've enjoyed the book. Uh, I'm kind of experimenting with it and seeing what works for me. And I don't think I realized how little I actually knew about sleep. Um, You said that this is more than just a book. It's a movement. How did you become, as you call yourself, a sleep evangelist? So for me, it all started nine years ago when I collapsed from exhaustion and sleep deprivation and hit my head on my desk on the way down and broke my cheekbone. And that was the beginning of realizing that I was not alone, that in fact I was surrounded by thousands of people who were also burnt out and that we're all under this collective delusion that somehow in order to achieve and succeed, we had to burn out and we had to sacrifice sleep. Yeah, you broke your cheekbone. That's pretty scary. Well, you you do talk a lot in the beginning of the book about the dangers of sleep deprivation. You say in a few years, people will look back on our culture of sleep deprivation and also in particular the whole sleeping pill industry the same way that we now view cigarette smoking. How dangerous is our sleep crisis? So we now have this conclusive... um science that proves that sleep deprivation degrades every aspect of our lives and our health. Let's start with that. It's connected with um, practically every major disease, obesity, diabetes, uh, heart disease, cancer, and Alzheimer's. But it also dramatically affects our decision-making, our impulse control. Um, What happens in, on our, in our brain, you know, we used to think that we go to sleep and our brain is inactive. And now right. we know that, in fact, sleep is a time of frenetic activity for the brain when it washes away all the accumulated toxins from the day. Yeah, so we're not just powering ourselves down. Exactly, we're not. Actually, the metaphor that... Dr. Demand, one of the top sleep scientists, uses is we used to think that it's like putting the car in the garage and turning the ignition key <laughs> off. And now, if you want to use a modern metaphor, it's like your brain becoming a driverless car and running essential errands for you while you are sleeping. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it's interesting because you say that it's kind of like the overnight cleanup crew yes. that comes in when you're sleeping. Um what what exactly happens when we're asleep? What is what goes on in our brain? So what happens is that the the glymphatic system, which is the brain's plumbing system, is activated, and um, our brain has two modalities: either it is awake and alert, or asleep and cleaning up. 
<laughs> and it's a little bit like uh, either you're entertaining the guests or you're cleaning up the house. <laughs> you can't do both at the same time. And if you don't clean up the house, there are serious consequences for the way our brain functions and the way our body functions. Well, you talk about how today's culture equates sleep with the lack of motivation and productivity. And we love to throw around phrases like, you snooze, you lose, and, uh, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Talk about the fallacy of that kind of thinking. It's a huge fallacy. It's actually a delusion. And, and at first you may think, well, how come we believe something which is patently false? Well, we've believed patently false things for many, many <laughs> um times during our history, you know, we believed the earth was flat. We believed that smoking was no problem. In fact, you know, you can go to advertising from the 1950s where you had doctors in white coats um, promoting one cigarette brand over another. <laughs> so right. now I think we have this amazing tipping point where the new science of sleep, which is relatively young, um, is absolutely conclusive on the impact of sleep deprivation on our health, our productivity, and our happiness. And, you know, the productivity part that you mentioned is really important because although we are working longer hours, last year we lost 11 days of productivity, which cost the U.S. economy $63 billion. Really? Due to sleeplessness? Due to sleeplessness. Because what wow. happens is that sleep deprivation um, degrades our performance. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not as present. We're not as engaged. Our decisions are not as good. So contrary to what we believe, uh, we're worse at our jobs than we would have been. And you know who is kind of ahead of the game? Our athletes. Yeah, that was an interesting aspect in the book. I mean, if anyone doesn't believe what you're saying, I mean, that pretty much drives it home right there. Talk about that. Yes, that's why I have a whole section on, on athletes and sleep, because you have um, Kobe Bryant, for example, who um, talks about how when he started getting enough sleep, his game dramatically improved. Then uh, Andre Iguidala from the Golden State Warriors um, talks about how uh, his stats that he enumerates dramatically improved after eight hours sleep. And in fact, when he became an MVP in 2015, he Instagrammed a picture of himself napping, holding his <laughs> MVP statuette. And uh, we have a, a growing number of coaches who are prioritizing sleep as, as part of the training because Athletes like the rest of us, only even more so, realize that recovery is key. In there, you just list all of these stats from these great athletes on how the sleep actually, you can see the number of goals they scored and everything just from getting more sleep. So, I mean, if there's any doubt, that really helps drive it home. You know, and talking about different careers and how sleep affects it. It's ironic to me that so many people in the professions where getting sleep is most critical, doctors, nurses, air traffic controllers, truck drivers, bus drivers, those are usually the people who get the least amount of sleep. I know, and yet these are um, matters of life and death, and that is really what is so tragic. And the other thing that we are focusing on, and in fact, we launched a campaign together with Uber, is against drowsy driving. 
That's a good idea because I will tell you, you know, I, I use Uber several times a week and constantly I talk to the Uber drivers and I say, how long have you been on the clock? Is there anyone who says maybe you need to take a nap or anything? Right. And they're like, well, up till now, at least, as far as I know, there was nothing that said, okay, you have to stop after eight mm -hmm. hours or mm -hmm. you have to take a break after 10 hours. And some drivers would go 12 hours at a time or something. Well, that's so, we're trying to raise awareness. Yeah. And we're also great. trying to make it clear that it takes two seconds of what they call micro sleep for a tragic accident to happen. Oh, because yeah. so often, yeah. you know, we'll be tired, we'll get behind the wheel and um, think we're going to power through. We'll get a coffee, we'll get a Coke. But in yeah. fact, uh, 1,200,000 crashes because of drowsy driving last year alone. Yeah, and I'm curious how that stacks up against drunk driving. Well, here's what is interesting. Because of our growing awareness about drunk driving and the designated driver campaign, um, stats of drunk driving are going down while drowsy driving huh. stats are going up. And that's why we launched a campaign on change.org for people to take a pledge not to drive while drowsy and not to let yeah. their friends drive that's while drowsy. That's a great drowsy. idea. Yeah, that's a fantastic idea. Uh, well, let's talk about the science of sleep. Uh, there's a pretty good amount of the book is dedicated to that, and we're blessed in that. I think in the past probably five to ten years, there have probably been more studies and there's more data on sleep than there's been throughout the whole course of human history, I imagine. Uh, have we determined at this point what an optimal length of sleep would be? Yes, absolutely. And I think you, you put it perfectly. Um, 1970 was um, the year when the first scientific sleep center was founded at Stanford. 1970, that's very recent. Yeah. So it shows how young the science is. And um, there is this universal consensus that unless you have a genetic mutation, mm -hmm. Uh, which makes you what they call a short sleeper, and therefore right. you can do fine on four hours. The rest of us, the vast majority of us, like 99% of us, need <laughs> seven to nine hours. So you can't train yourself to have a genetic mutation. You yeah. either have it or you don't. They say that it's only 1% of people have that genetic right. mutation. So then I'm curious, because throughout history you have people like Thomas Edison, Da Vinci, Napoleon, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, <laughs> who all claim that they don't need very much sleep and they still, you know, are extremely productive. Uh, is it that they're part of that rare, rare 1% or is it just an image they're trying to perpetuate? No, I think um, in the case of Thomas Edison, he just was completely wrong about sleep. Um, he was obviously a genius. He invented the light bulb, but he said <laughs> things like sleep is an absurdity. Uh, I'm predicting that sleep will be eliminated, all things which yeah. are scientifically false. Yeah. And that has been one of the problems. You had a lot of cultural icons like him saying things which are absolutely wrong. Napoleon um, was bragging about how little sleep he needed, but maybe he would have not lost at Waterloo if he had gotten a little more sleep. <laughs> uh, Bill Clinton actually has acknowledged um, that uh, the most important mistakes he made, he made when he was tired. Does that he, include the most he important did, he mistake he made? He did not specify that, <laughs> but okay. it's interesting that at least he had enough self-awareness to okay. realize that 
when you're exhausted, your impulse control is down and your judgment is down. Yeah, yeah, but also your libido is down yet, when you're uh, when you're. You well, don't maybe get not sleep, in his so. case. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't think his ever is. <laughs> well, you know, like I said, the science part of this is really interesting. Um, there are four stages to sleep, and eventually it ends with the the REM sleep. That's right. kind of the gold the standard rapid eye of sleep. Movement, the deep sleep. Yeah, and all my life I've misunderstood it. I've thought that it happens just once throughout the whole evening and probably I wouldn't hit REM sleep until three or four hours in. But I was fascinated in the book to learn that I guess we go in cycles right. that repeat throughout the evening. So you get a little bit of REM sleep probably two hours in and then you start over. Mm -hmm. And that's fascinating to me. I never knew that. And now so much of this makes sense to me now. Well, and what is interesting, I love sort of bringing in metaphors to explain all that science. Yeah. And one of my favorite metaphors that um, a German sleep scientist um, use, uses is uh, waking up before you have completed all the cycles that you need to be fully mm -hmm. recharged is equivalent to yanking the laundry out of the laundry machine before it has completed all the cycles. You end up with the wet and dirty laundry. <laughs> and that's often how we feel in the morning if we haven't gotten yeah. enough sleep. That's why, you know, we say things like, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you know, I try if I ever can, I try not to set the alarm. Because I believe if I have that option, I try to wake up whenever I feel like I'm ready to wake up. But that I is have to amazing. imagine alarms are part of the problem. Too alarms here. are definitely part of the problem. Just think of the word. Yeah. You know, the word alarm means that you wake <laughs> up in a fight or flight mode. Yeah. With a cortisol stress hormone flooding your body before anything has even happened. <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick break and then I'll be back to talk more with Ariana Huffington, author of The Sleep Revolution. If you're interested in my conversation with Ariana Huffington, then you'll enjoy her new book, The Sleep Revolution, Transforming Your Life One Night at a Time. And right now, you can download the audio version of her book for free with a special promotion just for our listeners at audibletrial.com backslash kickasspolitics for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook download, which can be The Sleep Revolution by my guest today, Ariana Huffington, or any of Audible's 180,000 titles. That's audibletrial.com backslash kickasspolitics. Or click on the sponsor link on our webpage to download the free audiobook of your choice. And now, back to the show. We're back, and today I'm talking with Ariana Huffington, author of The Sleep Revolution, Transforming Your Life One Night at a Time. Another part of the scientific aspect that you talk about in here, you dedicate a good amount toward dreams. There have been many theories about what purpose dreams serve. Have we reached any conclusions about what actually goes on when we dream? So we know more about dreams, but we still don't have the ultimate wisdom about dreams because I think when we solve that, we'll also have solved the mystery of life and we haven't gotten close to that. But okay. if you think of it, um, every religion uses dreams as a way to communicate um, with human beings. And you have God sending messages. <laughs> um, you have, you know, some of the most amazing um, 
historical and religious um, examples involve dreams. So I think now um, when we get enough sleep, we, because we remember our dreams more, um, we feel somehow that we are connected to another dimension that we are not as conscious of during our daily lives. Interesting. And isn't there also some sort of a, a, a memory consolidation aspect oh, yes. to dreaming too? There, are, There is a memory consolidation aspect. There is a processing of um, of things that have bothered us during the day. Uh, but there is also that sense that there's something else going on in our lives that we are not fully aware of, that we are more than our jobs, that we are more than our yeah. daily problems. Interesting. Well, some of the best parts of the book are various suggestions that you make to help people sleep, stuff that works for you and stuff that's scientifically been tested and proven by different people. Um, so what is your sleep ritual at night? Well, first of all, I'm so glad that you you followed the, the order of the book because I think it's so important for people first to be convinced of the science. Right. Because people may be tempted to go straight to the how-to part, you know, mm -hmm. how to get a better night's sleep. But if they're not convinced of why it's important to get a good night's sleep, they're not going to be able to take the small steps that I'm recommending Right. to change their habits consistently. So um, the most important thing is to establish a transition to sleep. We used to, right now, we're used to just being on our phones or our laptops until the last minute turning off the light. Mm -hmm. And we may fall asleep because we're exhausted, but our brains have not slowed down and they're going to wake us up with all our incompletions and our to-do lists and all the things we're anxious about. So I think it's key to have a winding down ritual. Mm -hmm. And mine involves taking all my devices, powering them down and charging them outside my bedroom, having a hot bath with Epsom salts to literally soak away the day. Now, if you don't like baths, you can have a shower, but it's great to pour some water over your body. I used to sleep in my gym clothes, and now, you know, I have dedicated sleepwear. You can pick whatever you like, PJs, nightshirts, uh -huh. even a special okay. T-shirt. And in bed, I only read physical books. Oh, right. No no blue light. No blue light. Mm -hmm. and, and also, there's something kind of wonderful about holding a book in your hand. If you doze off, you can just drop it on the floor <laughs> and nothing happens yeah. to it. And I never read books about media or politics or anything that involves work. I like to get you angry. Yes, or kind <laughs> of re-engaged in my yeah. daily life. I just like to read novels or poetry or spiritual books. Okay, that's excellent. And yeah, one of the two big suggestions you make, again, are turning off the devices 30 minutes before bed and leaving them outside the bedroom, yes. which I like. And I tried that. And the other added benefit I found is, you know, is kind of a side benefit when I wake up in the morning, a lot of times I screw around and waste a lot of time laying in bed on my phone. Yes. Checking the news or Facebook or whatever. If I put it in the other room, I actually have to get my butt out of bed <laughs> and actually get my day going. Absolutely. And and also, um, let me stress again, you don't have to start with 30 minutes. Start with five. You right. know, if you think, oh, 30 minutes without my phone, that's, uh, that's an eternity. 
It doesn't matter. Just start, just take a small microscopic step and gradually you're going to feel so much better, so much more present and productive in your life that it will become like a magnet that draws you to do more. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I've been putting some of this into practice over the past week and it, I'm starting to see some dividends come from it, um, but I'm also realizing that this is a long-term process and it involves a lot of A-B testing, doesn't it? Not? I love that. <laughs> it does. I call it becoming our own sleep scientist. But I like uh -huh. A-B testing. I may steal it from you. Uh -oh. Because it's like, try things out. Yeah. Some, I mean, I have so many tools and techniques and um, try them. And it doesn't matter how hockey the one you like is. What matters is, does <laughs> it work for you? Yeah, and one thing that was interesting to me in here is temperature, because I yes. always like it very cold Perfect. when I go to bed. Some people like it really warm. You recommend that the temperature be between 60 and 66 degrees, and now I realize why, why I like that, because I'm used to waking up in the middle of the night, you know, having sweats and all this, and I didn't realize until now our body temperature changes throughout the different phases of sleep mm -hmm. at night. You know, once we get into REM sleep or the one before that, I think you said it's like a five degree, it goes up five degrees exactly. or something. So, I, you know, ideally, again, everybody's different, but try not to have the temperature over 70 degrees. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Um, well, you're a big fan of naps. In fact, I just toured your nap room here at the <laughs> Huffington Post headquarters. Um I'm a napper, but people keep telling me that if you take naps, you're not going to be able to get a decent sleep at night. Is that true? No. First of all, um, you are only going to take a very long nap if you have a big sleep deficit. Mm. And as okay. our sleep habits improve, we realize that like a 20-minute nap is amazing. You know, a 20-minute nap is restorative. You know, Winston Churchill... Right. coined the term power naps and he won the second yeah, world the war nap. yeah 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 and he he was very dedicated he would get in bed and every like a real exactly. nap is there an optimal length of nap about 20 minutes oh really that's yeah. it yeah not but an you hour know, or something? no if you need more it means that you have you you're running a sleep deficit which you may yeah. be running because you're jet lagged or you had a sick child you know things happen in our lives yeah yeah, that's true. Well, I know that you have to catch a flight. I hope it's not a red eye. No, it's a um, flight to Nashville oh, to, okay. to speak at the at Belmont University. You know, oh, we are doing this college outreach to 100 colleges to reach millennials and help them understand the importance of sleep. So that's one of the colleges. Yeah. Well, you know, before we go, you talk a lot about the problem of politicians having poor <laughs> judgment because they get too little sleep. Uh, Trump, Donald Trump loves to brag about how little sleep he needs. Do you think that that might be part of his problem? Well, you know, he displays a lot of the symptoms of chronic sleep deprivation, according really? to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, like inability to process even simple information, mood swings, mm -hmm. anger outbursts, <laughs> false memories. So there is something to, to look out for there. Yeah. Well, I'm going to send him a copy of the book. If you, have you sent him a copy yet? I haven't. Okay, well, then I will. And maybe you'll autograph it for me. I'll send it to you first. Absolutely. Well, again, the book is called The Sleep Revolution, Transforming Your Life One Night at a Time. Ariana Huffington, thanks for sitting down and talking to me. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. 
And folks, as a bonus, here are Ariana Huffington's 12 tips for getting a better night's sleep. Number one, create a bedroom environment that's dark, quiet, and cool, between 60 and 67 degrees. Remember folks, your body temperature changes when you go through the various sleep cycles at night. Number two, turn off your electronic devices at least 30 minutes before bedtime. Number three, and this is a big one, don't charge your phone next to your bed. Even better, gently escort all devices completely out of your room. Number four, stop drinking caffeine after 2 p.m. Number five, use your bed for sleep and sex only, no work. Number six, and I know this is gonna be hard for some people, keep your pets off the bed. Number seven, take a hot bath with Epsom salts in the evening to help calm your mind and body. Number eight, wear pajamas, night dresses, or even a special t-shirt. It'll send a sleep-friendly message to your body. If you wore it to the gym, don't wear it to bed. Number nine, do some light stretching, deep breathing, yoga, or meditation to help your body and your mind transition to sleep. Number 10, choose a real book or an e-reader that doesn't emit blue light if you want to read in bed, and make sure it's not work-related novels, poetry, philosophy, anything but work. Number 11, sip chamomile or lavender tea to ease yourself into sleep mode. Number 12, write down a list of what you're grateful for before bed. It's a great way to make sure your blessings get the closing scene of the night. And there you go, folks, Ariana Huffington's list of 12 tips she recommends for a better sleep. Thanks again to Miss Ariana for coming on the show. And if you enjoyed this episode, or if you're just not getting as good a sleep as you think you ought to be, then I'd encourage you to read her new book, The Sleep Revolution, Transforming Your Life One Night at a Time. And folks, in the back of Ariana's book, she even has a sleep quiz where you can determine if you're getting enough sleep. Plus, she has a list of recommended meditations to help you relax before bed and even recommendations on mattresses and hotels that have special programs to help you beat jet lag and get a more restful sleep when you're on the road. I'll include an Amazon link where you can order her book in the show notes for this episode and on our website at kickasspolitics.com. Or if you prefer to listen to the audio version, you can download that for free through that special trial offer just for our listeners at audibletrial.com backslash kickass politics. You can follow Ariana Huffington on Twitter at Ariana Huff. That's Ariana with two N's and then Huff, H-U-F-F. Or you can, of course, keep up with her at HuffingtonPost.com backslash Ariana. Be sure to subscribe to Kickass Politics on iTunes and leave us a review while you're there. And if you really want to help out, then donate to our GoFundMe campaign at GoFundMe.com backslash kickasspolitics. Or click on the donate button on our website at kickasspolitics.com. Follow us on Twitter at at KAPolitics or visit Kickass Politics on Facebook. And while you're there, recommend Kickass Politics to your friends on your social media. And as always, I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickasspolitics.com. 
On the next podcast, we'll get a little more serious when I talk with Stephen McAndrews, Head of Emergency Operations for the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies in Geneva. We'll talk about his experience on the front line of some of the biggest disasters of the past two decades, including the 2014 super typhoon that hit the Philippines, the Ebola outbreak in Sierra Leone, and his experience most recently confronting a very different sort of disaster as head of emergency operations for the Syrian refugee crisis. Coming up with Stephen McAndrews on the next podcast. But for now, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass Politics. Kick-Ass Politics is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.